Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm Lorena Turner, one of the hosts of the channel. I'm a lecturer in the communication department at the California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California, and I'm also a project-based photographer. Recently, I spoke with photographer and professor Laura Larson about her new book, Hidden Mother. Hidden Mother tells the story of the adoption of Laura's daughter from Ethiopia as mapped through 19th century hidden mother photographs. The term hidden mother refers to the widespread but little-known practice in 19th century photography of concealing a mother's body as she supported and calmed her child during the lengthy exposures that were demanded in early photographic processes. In the final portrait of the child, the mother, who is often covered from head to toe in a black drop cloth, appears as an uncanny figure, a practical strategy deployed by the photographer which unintentionally yielded an evocative representation of the mother. Never meant to be seen, her presence is nonetheless haunting in these images. Part photography book and part essay, Hidden Mother enlists these strange and powerful images to present a lyrical account of becoming a mother through adoption. A brief note about my conversation with Laura I want to apologize ahead of time for the sound quality. There were some last-minute technical problems that cropped up, and my only solution led to there being a bit of echo on Laura's voice. She has a lot of wonderful things and a lot of insightful things to say, so I hope that you'll stick with the interview despite that problem. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Photography. Today, I'm speaking with Laura Lorson about her new book, Hidden Mother, Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Hi, thanks thanks for for having having me. me. It's a real pleasure to talk with you. Um, I'm really, really happy to have read your book, have found your book and read your book. Um, This book, your book is published by St. Lucy Books, Books, Mark Mark Alice Alice Durant's press called St. Lucy Lucy Books. Excellent. So why don't you start by kind of talking a little bit about your book? Hidden Mother examines this particular interval of... Uh, the, uh, the legal, legal process, process of my daughter's, daughter's adoption. adoption. Um, my daughter, daughter say is Ethiopian-American. Um, and it sort of examines this particular interval between when I received the first photograph of her um, in, um, in the process and then seven months later when I met her. So during this time, in the seven months, I sort of received photographs um, from various people and it, it was, was sort of in that, that experience of receiving these photographs that I felt like she became my daughter, or, or perhaps better put, I became her mother. And as a way to sort of talk about that experience in a ways in which I felt very close to her, and at the same time, very, very, very far away from her, I used a 19th century vernacular portraiture, which is referred to as hidden mother. Um, so, so in, in, in this portraiture, portraiture um, the, the photographers would uh, conceal the mother um, who would hold the baby. And the, baby, and the reason they did this was the, um, 
the exposure times were very long. So they had to figure out a way to steady the child so they could make a kind of clear and focused photograph. But they would kind of go to these sometimes extreme lengths to conceal her. They would cover in fabric. Sometimes they would sort of scratch her face off of the emulsion. Um, and I, I was introduced to these photographs while I was in the adoption process. And in some ways, I had a kind of recognition of what my experience was in looking at these photographs. So I used these photographs as a way to kind of tell the story about um, becoming, becoming a mother through adoption, um, but also just sort of more generally, I think, making a claim about what it means to be a mother in some ways. Well, we're going to talk a bit more about your book in just a few minutes, but I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit at this moment about your history and interest in photography and kind of what you do professionally that's connected to the world of photography. Um, well, I'm a professor of photography at Ohio University. I've been here 13 years. Um, my path to becoming a photographer and becoming interested in writing about photography is Somewhat, somewhat circuitous. Um, I, um, I actually majored in English in college, and I sort of became interested in photography and film and art through, um, through a kind of love of literature. And, you know, I eventually pursued an MFA, and what I do as an artist is, is pretty hybrid. I make photographs, I make films and videos, and I write. And in, this is my first book. Um, it's a pretty important thing to know. And um, and it was sort of a way, in some ways, writing this book was a way I could sort of stay engaged in, um, in artistic practice when I, was, um, when I was a new mother. And it was something I could sort of work on um, while I was, you know, if you don't have a lot of time when you're a mother to make things. So. Really glad to hear you say that because I think it's a crossroads for some people when they become a new parent is exactly how to incorporate their work into their lives and how to incorporate their lives into their work. This is a your book is a pretty um, ingenious way of doing that. I think. Do you teach uh, applied classes or classes in history and theory or both? Um, both. I mean, I, mean, I, I teach, teach a pretty, pretty wide range. range. Um, in, in some, some ways, ways I. I I, I, I teach more studio and, you know, sort of applied, um, applied practice, but I, I integrate like a great deal of history and sort of, um, critical theory and such, um, to thinking about what it means to be a photographer to make photographs. Well, let's talk about your book. So in reading your book, I got the feeling like there could have been a couple of different ways that are directions that kind of brought you into this work. So one seemed like it was maybe the introduction of this type of photography. I mean, certainly these are images that you must have known about before, or probably did know about before, but it's, but from what I gathered, it sounds like someone introduced, kind of maybe reintroduced you to them right at this exact moment when you were going through this period of your life. Is that, was that? Yeah, yeah no, that's, 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 that's exactly, exactly what happened. happened. And it, it was, um, I, I, I had been, been, I finished a project, project that was, um, 
very much influenced by the 19th century practice of spirit photography. And um, kind of when I finished this project, which was called Electric Girls in the Invisible World, it was when I began um, the sort of application process for the adoption. And, you know, I consider myself to be fairly knowledgeable about 19th century photography, but my friend Bernie, I mean, I, I remember it as clear, clear as yesterday. He sent me an email and he had attached a few images and he was like, I don't know if you've heard of this, but this just seemed right up your alley. And and it really was like, you know, I think you have moments as an artist where these sort of like moments of deep recognition and in some ways your brain and your language is trying to sort of catch up with it in some ways. And that's that's what happened with those photographs. So it was almost like the process of adopting my daughter was kind of parallel to me trying to sort of understand these photographs and to sort of to sort of unravel them and to sort of figure out why I was responding to them so strongly on an emotional level, but also like on an intellectual level. And I think, um, yeah, and you know, I will be forever grateful to him for introducing them to me. I, I wanted to ask you about spirit photography, but but before that's just I'm telling you that as kind of a placeholder because I will forget to bring oh. that up in a moment. But I but I wanted to um, before that kind of ask a question related to what you just said. Did you do a kind of historical research on in, on the actual like what did photographers write or talk about? You know what they were doing by kind of eliminating the, the visual reference to the mother in the photos? Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a, a great question. question. So, so there were, there, there were lots of kind of professional, professional like, like in the 19th century, century lots, lots of professional, professional journals, journals and, and which, which were very much focused on the, 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 the practical aspects of, 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 of making photographs, of running a studio. And I found a couple of great articles which, which were actually written satirically, um, and you know, and they just they described what you know the process, and very clearly said, well, you couldn't use these different kind of apparatuses which were used on adult bodies to keep them steady. But they were written in this way that was, you know, essentially like, ugh, you know, the little brat <laughs> was like whining. Yeah, it was very and. I mean, I mean, they, they were, were very, very funny. funny. They, they were ultimately sort of tonally not, they were sort of off for, for me to include them in the book, but they were, they were very illuminating in terms of um, understanding the process. It, the, uh, the images that I think are maybe the most intriguing and also disturbing are the ones that where the, the mother's physically removed from the emulsion of the image. Was there, was there references to to that process in any of the journals too? I didn't find any anything that describes that. It was it all revolved around the staging. Um, for me, when I looked at those, and I too find them the most disturbing. Um, I mean, because for me, like there's a sort of fairly explicit violence there, right? Just scratching off. But my reference point when I saw those images were um, Belloc's photographs of the Storyville prostitutes, um, where these images, they were like sort of after the fact, and it's sort of unclear if Belloc did it or if he did it at the request of the women, but the faces would be scratched off. So there was this kind of weird 
tension between these portraits that were like on one hand quite loving and then on the other hand there was this kind of I, you know, this forensic quality to them where it was like, we're going to erase the essence, right? And so that for me, that was in some ways my, my path into the, like those, that particular sort of subset of the images. Um, but I don't, I don't recall reading any accounts by photographers about that as a kind of explicit strategy well what is spirit photography and what was did you do a you said this is your first book so what was your project that was connected to spirit photography well i did a number of projects so spirit photography is again it's it's still a contemporary practice but it's kind of exactly what it sounds like it's photographs of ghosts photographs of paranormal activity and um Spiritualism, the religion of spiritualism, emerged at the same time as the invention of photography. So there, it was how photography sort of depicted ghosts. And um, the sort of first chapter of it were, again, portrait photographers. You would go to a spirit photographer and sit for a portrait, and then they would present a plate um, where there would be this sort of ghostly image floating behind the sitter. And there's sort of this idea of the photographer being a kind of medium who channeled spirits. Um, and then the sort of second chapter of it, and again, it's sort of evolved in some ways with the technology. The sort of second chapter of it was where mediums, most of whom were women, um, would produce ectoplasm or sort of physical uh, materializations of of spirits and the photographer was a documentarian was a kind of witness to these things um both in both cases or both practices of it you know it, they were all fraud essentially i mean there are examples which which seem to defy this but you know in the case of the portrait photographers they would double expose an image, you know, after they had made the portrait. And in the case of the mediums, um, there was there was kind of there was artifice to their performances of of channeling spirits. And sometimes the photographer would be working with them, you know, would be colluding with them on on this. So, and I got interested in it for a number of reasons, but I guess the sort of primary reason was it was a kind of it was a moment where, you know, not only was photography sort of asking you, and it still does, right, ask you to kind of believe what you're seeing. At the same time, there's this kind of undeniable evidence of fraud, and they're sort of held in balance at the same time. And I, for me, that was a kind of provocative way to think about I mean, I guess the way I'll put it is like a kind of ambiv the ambivalence of photography, right? Where you have an expectation, an expectation of evidence of truth, and at the same time, it is um, it's it's laced with artifice. And I, for me, that as I I don't like I don't believe in the either or. I kind of want the both, and it was a sort of provocative way. And also, like, on some fundamental level, it was about looking at these photographs was also about seeing people struggle with loss and wanting to find meaning. And that was, for me, a very kind of powerful point of connection as well. So I made like a number, I made about 
I did sort of three discrete photography series that really were kind of engaged with this like 19th century idiom. And then I did this sort of larger project, which was um, a video called Electric Girls in the Invisible World. And that video took a group of five 13-year-old girls and they told the story of this um, 19th century medium whose name was Eusebio Palladino. So in some ways they were kind of like, a, they were contemporary mediums for her. And, you know, they, they told her story and she was a fascinating character. Um, the project originally started where I thought I was going to make a documentary about her. And then I ended up approaching the material in a different way. So again, like with the hidden mother, um, he, he, he saw in them something also about, again, like not only like in terms of my sensibility of like, because they are kind of funny, the spirit photographs are very funny. And I think a lot of the hidden mother photographs are funny. And at the same time, there is a kind of sense of, of loss and pathos in them. And so he just, he recognized that they would be of interest to me. I was reviewing your book this morning and, and then I went straight for, for some odd reason, went straight away to my studio after that, because I had to do some um, work on some old photos of my family. And I was looking at pictures of, of my mother and Mm. myself and was thinking about, uh, I was really connected to that idea of loss and absence and, you know, thinking about how the people who were the children in those photos, you know, Mm. probably felt as they got older, you know, wanting a connection, like a visual connection with their mother, but having, (laughs) having them removed, you know, a reference of their individuality removed or obscured, you know, how that, um, the, you know, the photos are really made for the parents, ultimately not for the children. Right. And, and just, just you, you kind of opened this door for me in, in thinking about, you know, this other aspect of time and our relationship to images. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's, that's really, really, that's really, that's really beautifully really put. put. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's, and it's funny, funny because, because I, you know, you know and especially with the, the plates that, that I have in my, my own collection, collection it's, it's, it's funny, funny how, I am so, like, I almost, I almost forget about the kids sometimes, right? And, you know, some, their expressions are, um, you know, they don't, it's, it's, it's rare to find a hidden mother photograph where the child looks happy or is smiling, you know, they, they, like, on some level, I, I, they're, they're channeling a sense of distress that seem, would seem unavoidable, um, in, in a practice, practice like, like that. that. Right. Right. That's, a, it's, it's, that's very interesting that that's the, you know, what they're, they're the photographer that they're doing, what they're, how their behavior is and how that's is essentially what the mood or the tone of the photo is. Right. right. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. exactly. So you've also referenced uh, Roland Barthes a number of times in your book, mm-hmm. and and I'm some people who are listening to this will you know will have already made the connection between um, his work of Camera Lucida and your work, but there will be some people who are not familiar with that book. So I'm hoping that maybe you could kind of talk a little bit about his book, why you drew upon that, why you felt that was a, a good place to go. So Camelucida is, is Bart's philosophical rumination on, or it's his way of figuring out like what is the sort of essence of photography. And the way he does it is using this sort of umbrella of 
trying to find an image of his mother where he, um, as he puts it, where he recognizes her. And the book is written in the wake of her death. So he is in mourning for her. Um, and in, you know, in, in this loss, he is trying to find something that will sort of um, not so much replace her, but to sort of um, be a, I guess, a kind of placeholder for her. And so in kind of around this kind of like search for this image, he circles around these different ideas about um, the idea of the punctum of the photograph, and that is the thing that wounds you. And what he eventually, his sort of, an idea he arrives at, or he sort of, and I say arrive, not concludes with, but um, he, that essentially it's, it's the viewer, it's the viewer that sort of makes the photograph, that sort of completes this experience, and that the sort of experience of photography, they're just kind of madness to it, because in some ways you have this thing in front of you, and yet it's not there at the same time. And um, so a couple, and then the other thing I'll say is, and there's just kind of very passing passage, uh, there's a very short passage in it, where he kind of throws out this idea of photography in some ways being a maternal medium, and the idea that the ways in which we are attached to our mothers and at the same time we're separated from them is very much alive in a photograph, right? And this goes back to the idea of, you know, the medium's madness. Like the thing is there, but it is not there. And this is kind of like the thing he keeps returning to over and over and over. So I really seized upon that. And I've read this book like a million times, although you'll never, can never tell in my discussion of it. Um, um, but I seized upon that, and I also, in some ways, the structure of my book is very much kind of honors the structure of Cameron Lucida and these short chapters, and in a way, sort of talking around the photographs. And so one of the things in Cameron Lucida is when he finds this photograph of his mother, which is the Winter Garden photograph, and it's a photograph of her when she's five years old. And, you know, he says in it, even though this is clearly not the person who was his mother, right? Um, but he recognizes, like, her kindness. He recognizes her, her sort of her soul, her essence. And, and then he makes a point of saying, but you know, it's only for me. I'm not, I'm not going to sort of reproduce it in this book and a book, which is filled with photographs. Right. So in some ways, this image, which he has devoted so much time to, um, you know, sort of haunts this book because it's, it's not actually there. And so that again, like, I just, like, I sort of, I was like, well, this is perfect because, you know, these photographs that I'm receiving of my daughter, which, I, like, I was the one who was investing meaning in them. I was the one who, like, was looking at them, was looking for recognition, and I was the one who was, in a sense, looking for attachment as well, and that was just not going to, I don't, that was not a sort of uninvested reader was not going to respond to them the way that I was, and so, um, I realized that these other images, the hidden mother photographs were kind of, again, like a kind of way of talking around all of these sort of issues around um, 
motherhood and around, and in particular, a lot of the ethical issues around adoption as well. You know, ultimately, I wanted to tell my story. My daughter is going to tell her own stories about um, about me and her first family. And I wanted to sort of honor that, but also to kind of honor honor a kind of debt that I felt to Bart um, in this work. I just want to, there's, I, I went through your book. I wrote all over it. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> um, of course, of course, I'm, I'm kidding, of course, because this is forever my book. You will never be, will never be returned to you. Uh, let's see, there was, th- you just said something that I'm probably not going to be able to find my, the note that I wrote to myself on that. However, I can connect it to, I did, you did have this really wonderful passage where you describe your daughter, you describe picture, you saw pictures of her at one point where she was, she was kind of small and ill looking when you first saw images of her. And as she was spending more time in this kind of, was it like an orphanage where she was staying in Ethiopia? Technically it was called, there are orphanages and then it's not the same now. There were transition houses and transition houses were for children who um, who were in the process of being adopted. Now, there was, there was a lot of kind of gray area um, between these two kinds of institutions, but where she was at the time was a transition house. So you started seeing images of her, and you described that she looked plump and boisterous and was flirting with the woman who was taking the picture, and you, the, your paragraph continues where you have all of this really wonderful essentially your visual description, you know, translated into language. And then you turn the page and you say, I will not produce, reproduce the image here. It is only for me. Right. Which, Which is, is like, like you know, a quotation of what Bart says about the winter garden photograph. Right. But uh, it, just, it was so, it's, it's so beautiful, you know, to have, I think, you know, maybe, maybe I'm reflecting on it from being of this moment, you know, of social media where so much of our personal lives and experiences are shared, you know, that, and I realized that you were making that connection to, to him, but it's such, I just found it so much more poignant, um, that you wanted, you know, that you are keeping that for yourself. Like that's so, it's so powerful. So yeah, powerful. no, that's, that's interesting. You should mention that because I often feel deeply conflicted about sharing photographs of my daughter on my on my Facebook page, which I do anyway. Um, but and part of it is it is a very um, it's it's an easy way to stay in touch with people. And you know, I live I live in Ohio, like pretty far away from the places where I'm from, and. So, so it's, it's, you know, really, really useful, useful for me. But, but I do, do feel, feel conflicted, conflicted sometimes. And Why do you feel conflicted? What's the conflict, the nature well, of the conflict? I think, I think again, it, just, it, it sort of comes back to, you know, there's sort of like, you know, parental pride and there's the desire to kind of document your everyday life. Um, but I think the sort of functions of social media are often... I don't know. I, I think maybe it's just about what, how does your public, how does your public life begin to shape your private life? I mean, I don't think that's really the case with me. Or I think it's just a kind of ambivalence about 
the sort of this sort of divide between the private and the public. Um, I mean, it's funny that we're having this interview today, and I don't want to hijack your questions, but um, we we finally. Um, I received her certificate of citizenship today. We had to go to immigration and get it today. And this is something that it's essentially, she's been a citizen since she, you know, since April, 2010. Um, but it's a kind of formality that we had to get, that we had to go through because of the visa she emigrated on. And again, it was something that I didn't really think about until, you know, the, November 9th, and that we would need this document um, in order for her to sort of be recognized as a citizen, even though she has an American passport, even though she has an American birth certificate. And in any case, we received it today, and there's this very sweet photograph of her on it, you know, and even though it's like a kind of CVS, CVS sort of passport photo, right? Like she... She looks, she looks so sun, and um, at the same time, she has a real like, I don't suffer fools gladly kind of look on her face. Um, and there's a part of me that's like, we. This is like a major hurdle, right? And um, and I kind of want the world to know. And then in another way, I, you know, I guess maybe it comes down to just wanting to protect her privacy as well. Or just, or just that, 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 that sort of haunts every, every post for me, I guess. Yeah. In any case, I know that was a little bit of a, of a detour, but well, no, I did get a photograph of her today that is sort of part of the story that I'm feeling very intensely today. I also wonder, too, if, you know, a part of your brain, here I'm, I'm suggesting ideas to you, but, but it, you know, that you do have, you do kind of reference this in your book a little bit, and, and I heard it in this conversation, too, about, you know, really whose story, I mean, not really whose story is it, because it is both your story and her story. But I think there's, there's some kind of possession that happens, you know, with parents and their children, when they, you know, put them their images on social media, because then it centers, you know, who really is the center of that story? Who's is it the storyteller? Is it the one who's being depicted? And I and I wonder if maybe there's a conflict for you there. I mean, you you I get the sense you're a very you're a person who is very much aware of autonomy, both in yourself and your own history, and also that which you are going to give to your daughter slowly over time. And I wonder if that kind of is a part of that conflict. For yeah, you. No, I, I, think I think that's, that's a really beautiful, beautiful way of putting it, it because, because, I mean, I mean and again, again, like my, my, my book, book is nonfiction, right? right? But, but it's, it's certainly something, something I, I would imagine, like, any writer in any, you know, sort of fiction or nonfiction, you, like, on some level, you own the story, right? You own the story as the storyteller. How do you sort of, how do you sort of honor your subjects? How do you honor your characters? I mean, it's something I certainly think about. It was something I thought about a lot when I made Electric Girls, but just figuring out that balance, right? Just between, like, a kind of the integrity of the work but also the integrity of your relationship to your subjects. And I, and I think that, and again, I would say that's true of fiction writer as well, or I would imagine, right, I'm not a fiction writer, but um, that you kind of have to live with your characters, right? And you have to live, 
you have to live with your relationship to them and how you and how you've treated them. I found this section that I, I'm so glad I found it in the book that I wanted to ask you about. Here's here it's on page 58. It says people congratulate me. Let me let me back up. I think it needs a little bit more introduction there. I'm not reading the whole paragraph. I'm just kind of coming in maybe halfway through. I sometimes imagine that I will be her invincible mother. Mostly I feel utterly defenseless and unprepared. People congratulate me on my courage and tell me that I'm doing a brave and wonderful thing. I feel selfish. I want her. I suspect I'll be a jealous and possessive mother like my own. Part of that that really stood out to me was where how other people were perceiving your act of adoption versus how you felt at the time. I suppose, and maybe you feel that way currently, the selfishness part. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. How did you come to terms with when people would say that what you're doing is a brave and wonderful thing, but you had a different feeling about what you were doing? Okay, well, I think that there is a kind of cultural sense of adoption. I mean, there. I think there are a few sort of presumptions about it. The first is that adoption is a second choice. Like, if you cannot conceive that you adopt, and that is, I mean, that I don't think is the case, right? But I think there's another thing where adoption, and well, yeah, I mean, and I don't even think it's in particular to international as opposed to domestic, where it is actually ruled more by a sense of doing good in the world and that you're, um, that it's a selfless act, right? That you're doing something for someone else. And um, on some fundamental level, I have always felt, and I don't, and I don't say this in any kind of pejorative way that like, wanting to have a child like on some level it's really kind of ruled by selfishness like that you want that and again this is not in any kind of pejorative way but it is about like wanting a kind of particular intimacy with another human being and one in which you are actually kind of fully responsible for them in some ways and I think there's just a lot of it isn't selfless in any case. And I think, um, you know, and I think in the worst sort of cases, there's a great deal of um, narcissism around parenting. And, and again, like, I don't, you know, I'm not, I realize it sounds very, very negative, but um, so, and I guess that sense of like wanting that connection. And again, I, I don't, this is not meant to sound negative or judgmental, you know, sort of was coming up against these other sort of perceptions about, about adoption, about people's motivations when they adopt. And I think on some level, even how that sort of, there's sort of ideas about what a relationship between a parent and a child is when, when their family um, has been created through adoption. Right. And people still say, don't be stuff to us all the time. Right. Like that, you know, and I have to sort of figure out ways to be very measured in my responses, just in terms of how, you know, how my daughter is going to like hear this stuff. Right. And, and I think it's actually, that's, that is a real emotional for me in some ways, this question, but yeah, like I felt selfish 
it felt irrational to me sometimes. It felt, um, and in particular because this was a path I took as a single as a single parent, like it just felt, you know, that it went up against like a kind of set of norms by which people start families, and then. Um, and, and then, then there was, was like this, this other kind of circle of expectations, expectations like, like, and you know, it's, it's like the adoption community is also, there's like a huge part of it, which, um, is faith based and which is, um, identified with a kind of, with a mission, with a kind of Christian mission. Um, and you know, that's an important part of the community we're in. That is certainly not my point of identification with, it's, it's not a point of identification I share. Um, and yeah, like it was hard. People are like, that's so great. You're doing such a good thing. And it's like almost in saying you're doing such a good thing. It was to remove the way I felt about becoming a mother and, and a kind of primacy of that in some ways. And the ways in which I already felt deeply, deeply attached to my daughter even before I met her. And it was almost like, I mean, it sounds like a crude way of saying it. It's like almost like my feelings didn't matter. <laughs> that I was doing, you know, it was an act of charity. As, 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 yeah. And that's not that was the primary motivation. Yes, yes. So, and, you know, I there are certainly lots of ethical questions um, when you make a decision to start a family or grow a family through adoption. Um, but that's, that's a separate, those are separate questions, I think. There's so many more things that I'd like to ask you, but I, I don't want to, I know that we, we both have children and <laughs> I will have to go get mine shortly at school. So I can't really continue on with all the questions that I have, but I would like to ask you what you're working on now. I'm working on a book with a novelist. Her name is Maud Casey. And we, it is about, uh, photographs of female hysterics. I saw some another 19th century project. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm going to butcher the French, but it's, uh, so the work of neurologist Jean-Martin Chacot and he, with, with, um, his assistants and, um, different photographers created what's called the Iconographie, photographique de la Salpitrière, which is the name of the hospital in Paris. Um, and these photographs are, they, it was one of the, it was a very early use of photography in a kind of clinical setting. And he made photographs of these women in different stages of hysterical fits. And he, what was interesting about him was he was the first person who, you know, essentially, um, he, he came up with the diagnosis of it having a kind of neurological or, origins, um, as opposed to the historical definition of hysteria, which meant like women's uteruses were traveling all over their bodies. <laughs> they had to figure out a way to get them to stay down there. Um, but what was, one of the things that we're interested in as these photographs, even though they were used um, in a kind of positive, positivist way, um, were all stage. And so what Maud and I are working on is a kind of is this collaborative book where 
we're sort we're of working, working with, with these, these photographs. photographs. She's, She's written, written a number of stories um, about some of the women who um, are who are in the photographs, and I've made a number of photographs that not only respond to the original images, but also are responding to mob stories, and then sort of within this framework, we're kind of creating this sort of timeline of influence, and this is sort of about the history of the hospital, which began as a prison for... Um, women, um, mostly prostitutes, um, and how it evolved into a hospital um, for treatment of hysterics, as well as a kind of autobiographical and how that sort of, in a way, I guess, ways in which not only are we imagining a kind of connection to these women, but also in some ways thinking about how those stories are relevant to thinking about this particular contemporary political moment and, you know, depictions of and diagnoses of female bodies and female illness. Well, that sounds really fascinating. What's the timeline for that? We've been working on it for like over three years, although to be, to be honest, like I would say the first year or so, we were really just getting to know each other and we would... We kind of came up with this reading list and we would read a book every month and we would Skype and we would talk about the books and we would sort of, you know, really kind of try to sort of unfold our sort of, again, like in some ways I would say it's analogous to the Hidden Mother Project where like why we were interested in these photographs and sort of what, um, and ways in which our interests overlapped, but also ways in which the project, the projects were different. So like, and then another piece of it is, so on one hand, like we have these, this writing and these photographs and we're putting them together. And I'm also like some of those photographs I'm going to put in an exhibition, but then there's sort of other work that's not going to be in the book that'll be in the exhibition. So, so for example, I'm next week, I'm going to New York and I'm going, do you know the Penumbra Foundation? Yes. I'm going to make a series of amber types of women's hands. Like I sort of, the hands in these photographs and these historical photographs are so incredible. So I'm making this kind of like series of, of the hands and like, it's almost like a kind of, semaphore like of, of their hands and ways in which to kind of I don't know sort of read other meanings into them like meanings of essentially resistance in some ways so that that can't really be in the book so that'll be a separate thing and um yeah so that's what we're working on now in fact today we're, we're working on a grant today for um the Lang Taylor Prize so that's that's what I'm actually working on today <laughs> So where can people find your book, A Hidden Mother, to buy it? My book can be purchased at St. Lucy Books, and I believe it's stlucy.com. It's available in some bookstores. I can only really speak to with authority that I know it's at the Wexner Center for the Arts bookstore in Columbus, Ohio. So if you're in Columbus, Ohio, uh, you can get it there. Um, I believe in Los Angeles, it's at Arcana. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It was really, really a pleasure. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. That was Laura Larson discussing her new book, Hidden Mother, which was published by St. Lucie Press earlier in 2017. You can purchase the book at the St. Lucie online bookstore, which is stlucie.com slash shop. New books and photography podcasts are hosted remotely by me, Lorena Turner, and edited by me as well. 
If you have a new photography related book coming out and would like to talk with me about it for about an hour, send me a message through the New Books in Photography Facebook page. This goes for monograph, theoretical texts, as well as books on the history of photography. Next time, I will be posting the interview that I promised during the last episode with John Neal about his book, Focus on Photography, Master the Advanced Techniques That Will Change Your Photography Forever. John was trained as a fine artist and spent much of his career working at Kodak during the transition from film photography to digital image making. He has a fascinating connection to the history of photography, to photography in general, both as an inventor, as an artist. I hope that you will join us.